Welcome to Avowedcast. This is a fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG game titled Avowed. This is a podcast by fans for fans. We are not affiliated with Obsidian in any way, but we'd gladly buy them a $10 copy of Cyberpunk 2077 if they really wanted to go there. My name is Sora, and I'm joined by many other fans from around the world as we discuss topics related to the world of Aora, Pillars of Eternity, and of course, Avowed. This week, we're doing a deep dive into Wodica. Wodica is a prominent deity from the Pillars of Eternity series, and based on the trailer, we believe Wodica plays an integral part in the story for Avowed. Finish the work Theos began. Strengthen Woodica with these souls and allow her to become the most powerful of all the gods, with you as her favored. Well, welcome to Valcast. Uh, we have quite a group today who's joined us, and we're going to talk about Wodica today. But before we get into that and dig into the lore behind that uh, deity, um, we wanted to kind of touch base and see what everybody's been up to. And I think today we're going to start with parenthesis. Um, what have you been doing? Have you been playing any games recently over the summer? Yeah, I've, I've been playing the game uh, Suzerain, which is a part game book, visual novel, a political simulated role-playing game. Yeah, you play as a newly elected president in a country that is trying to find its footing after a civil war, an authoritarian strongman who has ruled for 20 years, and a ruined economy. So the country is, is eternally in divide politically and exists in the borderlands between East and West in what is basically the, the 20th century political landscape. And it's up to you to decide which kind of president you want to be and how you want to mold the country into your desired image. And it's a great game. It has a bit of a flaw in it that it has the problems you also find in Baldur's Gate 2, where getting out of the starter dungeon, so to speak, gets more and more tiresome each time you play it. There's a lot of table setting that the game does, and there's no way to just skip it. But it's a great game. I can hardly rec- heartily recommend it if, if you like uh, these kind of role-playing strategy kinds of games. Sounds pretty cool. I, I saw you playing it the other day. It said it on uh, Discord, so I was curious about that. Um, is it a newer game, or has it been around a while? Uh, it's been out for about... It's, I think it was released uh, towards last Christmas, so the end okay, of no. 2020. So pretty recent, yeah. Yeah. It's still supported, and and to just to to illustrate how how they've gone about crafting this, it has an internal hyperlinked glossary full of history, organizations, peoples, ideologies, that sort of thing. So it's 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 very in depth. Wow, that's awesome! I'm, I might have to check that one out for sure. Um, Lazar, what have you been doing? Uh, I mean, I myself actually haven't been playing too much uh, however uh with my girlfriend we found this game that is actually meant for you know uh for two players i don't know if you know about this game unravel 2 it's, it's yes i do it's, know about uh, that it's it's a really sweet uh, puzzle platformer i think that's what uh, that's what the genre is called um and basically, the, the the idea is that both of you uh, control a little figure, a yarn, so to say, 
and then you know you both uh, can shoot out um you know the threads from your bodies like uh, at certain areas and you can also connect those threads to each other and and you know that's basically the how you solve puzzles and how you have to get through you know a, a certain area and you know it's 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 very it's sometimes very smart but it's it's not it's not infuriate like it's not infuriating because because you know some puzzle platformers can be really hard and then you just sit there for hours and you can't solve them but uh i think that it's a it's a nice it's a nice uh, you know balance between uh between casual and uh, you know hardcore and now, did you play the fir- did you play the first one or did you just started with the second one no we just started with the second one and it's you're playing it on a what a PlayStation or an Xbox? PlayStation. PlayStation. Oh, okay, cool. Now I know you said I believe it was last time we talked. You mentioned you were she was getting into Sims. Is that right? Well, yeah, that's a, that was uh um yeah we also we also played a lot with with Sims, but we 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 switched. Yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't know if she got tired of it or if she was still hardcore into it at this point. Uh, we played quite a bit, but but we didn't get obsessed with it. Let's let's just say that. Got to push her back into fantasy, dude. Got to find another <laughs> yeah. like Dragon Age for her to jump into. Or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think I've been I've been trying to convince her to start Pillars of, Pillars of Eternity, but she she's a bit. Uh, start with the second one. It'll be a hard sell. Start with the second yeah. one. I mean, okay. I mean, yeah, you miss a lot. Just my advice, because I, I, you know, from my experience of introducing people, the first one is really intimidating, and I don't know. There's, we can get into that some other time, but that would be my advice. Start with the second one. Um, okay. Kiwi, what have you been doing? I've been doing cringe. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, I've been learning how to write a novel. Uh, I have an idea for a novel, and I want to write a novel. That's awesome. So I've been doing some outlining. And, Ooh, uh, nice. Maybe this weekend I'm close to starting to write the prologue. So what's your writing? I'm just curious. What's your writing a tool? Do you just use a, you do it by hand? Do you use a word processor? Do you use like Scrivener or anything like that? Um. I have for for outlining, making ideas. Uh, um, I have re- the remarkable to paper tablet, and cool. I have Scrivener, uh, and I believe I'm gonna use that for uh, for writing the manuscript. I might use Word, maybe to do some of the world building stuff because you kind of want to link stuff reference so yeah forth. i like scrivener i when i i write some on the side nothing to what you're doing i mean to that level but i uh i i jumped in i found scrivener is one of those things where you you either you're either all in or you're not at least from my point of view i really tried it um and it's really cool the the way that it allows you to like ref create a reference for your book, almost kind of like what uh, Parenthesis said for the game and where you're, you can almost create a, a wiki per se. 
and Scrivener for different parts of what you're writing and the way you organize your characters and stuff is really cool. But I almost found like the micromanagement of Scrivener to be too much for me. Yeah, I guess you would need more of the uh, things that it allows you to do, like references, notes, uh, attributes, whatever. It, it has so many things, so many tools. It, I guess when you're writing a bigger book or a novel, that then it might get uh, handy. Yeah, definitely. Well, good luck with that. I think that's that's awesome. Keep us keep us informed. You know, We've got a lot of people here who would love to read it if you want to share. So very very cool that you're yes, doing that. I, I'm sure uh, any starting uh, author or whatever would love to have better readers because <laughs> that's that's always the problem to get someone to read stuff because uh, you you for sure don't want to bother any relatives. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, but I'm in. Uh, my uh, my hand is raised. I'm ready to read. So whenever you, you want to share something, I, I'd love to read it. Um, Gingerino, Gingerino, what what have you been doing? I know I know about the whole bear thing, but have you been playing your Switch? <laughs> Actually, I brought the Switch back home last time I went back into town because I just wasn't playing it that often. But I do still have my Xbox here, and while I was there, I went on a downloading spree, and I just downloaded everything I could to fill up the hard drive. Wow. So I've been playing a little bit of everything, um, but the ones I've been playing the most are um, a game called Omno. It just came out on the Game Pass, which is kind of like a atmospheric puzzle platforming uh, indie game. That's been a lot of fun. I just sort of plank away at that just do one level a day or something but more so i've been getting into uh chris tales i think is the name i don't know if it's chris tales or christ tales yeah, i'm not familiar it's funny <laughs> i'm not familiar with either of those like i just looked oh, up man. omno omno looks cool yeah it, that that one's delightful like that one's just you sit back and you play and it's a nice relaxing enjoyable experience um so, yeah, that, that one's a lot of fun. Uh, Chris Tales I've been spending a little bit more time with, um, partially because I can only play games every couple days out here when I get the time. And uh, right, I think right. Chris, Chris Tales involves a little bit more, like, paying attention to the narrative and understanding controls. It's not complex by any means, but I don't want to come back into it from after a week and be like, I forgot who this character is. Yeah, but, uh, uh, I'm, I'll probably check both of those out for sure. Um yeah, I've I've found myself doing the same thing with the Xbox, just with especially the Game Pass. I'm like, oh, that looks nice, or oh, that looks nice. It's like walking through a store and all the shiny things, and you're like, oh, I want to download that. I'll play that. Yeah. And I have like <laughs> seven games on there I haven't touched since I downloaded. So, and it's and it, it almost is like causing me anxiety. But I'm like, I gotta get to those games at some point. I know. I but downloaded I feel... twenty games, and I wow. had that happen. I've whittled it down to seven. I tried the Ascent, which was cool but I'm just not going to stick with it while I'm here. So I'll try that one again later. <laughs> I get what you're feeling. It's, did you it's look nice at your to list? have options though. I mean, it, it's kind of nice how that, that business model works and that you have these, these games that you would never spend 20, 30 or however much money it is on, but you might just try on a whim. And yeah. I certainly do that. Um, it's a good I, problem to have for sure. I've been playing. Uh, so, um, I, I know you all think I'm angelic and, and that's wonderful, but I'm a human being and I also have rage 
And so I've had to and kind of feed my rage moment recently. So I, everybody has a game, I'm sure. At least most people have a game that they go to where it'll help them when they're upset about something or they've had some sort of quote unquote tragic event and they need to vent. <laughs> so um, mine was, and mine is crazy because I know a lot of people will do like uh, Metal Gear Solid, which is a great game, or um, Call of Duty, a terrible game, or, uh, <laughs> you know, something they can go in and just kill people, right? I mean, you just, you're just raging and you want to do that. Mine is a game called Just Cause. And I know you guys have heard of that one before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I absolutely love that franchise, not because it has a great story, not because it's the graphics are spectacular, not because of the gameplay is just really fluid and, and everything works really well together, just because it lets me do whatever the hell I want. And like I can just go around and blow up factories all day and it just feels great. I don't know why, you know? They can uh, get really yeah, I take I I take over tanks and I roll into town and blow up all the buildings or I I get a helicopter and just start shooting people from the sky. Absolutely terrible, I understand, but I feel better afterwards. It's therapeutic. I I knew you always had a huge dark side. You, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. You are well. correct. You know me well. Yes. Um <laughs> Just Cause, uh, I played the fourth one. That's the one on, on Game Pass right now. And I've played the, all of the others uh, through throughout time. My favorite is the second one, but the fourth one's okay. It at least lets me do what I want to do. Um, the only complaints I have about that game is that sometimes they lock you into these time quests. And I hate time quests because I, I like to take my time and they don't let me take my time. So, you know, I like to sneak around and put little mines on little vehicles and then go back into the woods and blow them up and the time quest don't let me do that. So, but I can't do something like call of duty because then I, I get into the game and I, I'm in there for like 1.5 seconds and get a headshot. And then I, I said, okay, I can do this. I, I focus and uh, I get back in now it's 1.7 seconds and I'm dead and I just get so angry. So I'm like, no, this is not helping. So, all right. That was my, I love that game. I love tying two things together with the grappling hook and then smashing them together. This it's it's just a great therapeutic game. You're so right. It's so crazy. I mean, it's just bizarre the things that the physics lets you do. I mean, it, it really <laughs> is bizarre. And if you go on YouTube, you can see some crazy videos about it. But that's what I've been playing. I've been playing some other things, but that that I've spent a little bit of time. I haven't been able to play as much recently. But I'm going to be getting back into that soon, I hope. Um, we're here today to talk about Wodica. Yay! Uh, absolutely a phenomenal deity character from the Pillars of Eternity games and from the world of Aora. Um, we will say up front that this episode has spoilers. You can't really talk about Wodica. You can't talk about the story elements uh, that are important to that character in Pillars 1 and Pillars 2, with, in my opinion, without uh, revealing things. So if you're planning on going to play back, uh, play Pillars 1 or Pillars 2 and you haven't done it yet, highly encourage you to hit pause, come back to us later, go enjoy those amazing games. Um, but if you're one of the ones who's like, I'm not really into isometric or I, I, I'm really just looking forward to Avowed and, and just want kind of a debrief, we're going to do that for you today and kind of 
give you a quick idea of, of who this individual is and do a little bit of a deep dive if we're, if we're able to. So I'm going to absolutely open it up and just let, just throw out the question. If you're, if you're, if you're, somebody sits down with you and they want like a three or four or five sentence uh, answer to the question, who is Wodica? <laughs> Wodica is one of the gods of the uh, Inquisition-created pantheon. She is the goddess of law, justice, oath and promises, rightful rulership, hierarchies, memory, and vengeance. She has the uh, subrequents of the exile queen and the queen that was and still is. The last one is popular amongst her adherents. Uh, one of the mysteries surrounding Vodica is that she and her followers claim that she was the, the god who ruled over the other gods until she was pulled down. It's not entirely certain if, if that is the case or it's just a false memory that was implanted in her with her creation. But that is certainly the guy she picks, uh, she has. We can see that in her sigil, which is a broken crown. Good answer. I like that. So that's a kind of a, a really brief thing. So Gingerino, you started to talk there. Do you have any thoughts on how you would explain very simply this uh, really pretty amazing character that they created for the Aora world? Um, I would, and let's see, in a few sentences, I would say that Wodaka is the hidden antagonist of the first Pillars game and also comes up in the second one. She's one of the 11 deities in the Aeoran Pantheon that you see in Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2. And based on the reveal trailer, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, uh, there's reason to believe that this god will appear in Avowed as well. As yeah. parenthesis stated, she's the god of law, justice, oaths, promises, and all that. Those are her domains. It's kind of the values that she has dominion over. Um, yeah, uh, this will also be interesting later. Francis brought this up. Is she is described as the most powerful one, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not convinced that she actually was the most. Yeah, powerful I think there's there's a there's a whole debatable thing as to if I remember right as to whether it was her memory or it was made up, and um, I don't know that that was ever clarified. It may have been, um, but uh, I I totally get that. I think of Wodica as um, I like how you put it. How was it? You said hidden antagonist. Yeah. Right. And so can you explain that? Kind of dive into that a little bit. I know where you're going with it, but kind of give people who haven't played the games an idea of what you mean by that. So in Pillars of Eternity 1, your character is pursuing a guy named Theos Ixarcanon, and he appears to be the antagonist for the game and the person behind Widewind's legacy, which for those not informed, it was essentially a crisis happening in the game where babies were being born without a soul, and no one knew why. So your character's chasing this Theos guy, trying to understand what's going on. And then at some point, this is the big spoil, some of the big spoilers, obviously, you discover that Wodak is actually pulling the strings behind it. Like, she's telling him what to do, and he's planning to channel all of these souls that he's essentially taken... At, and funneling him into Wodaka to make her a more powerful deity, to make her the, the queen that will be again, because uh, apparently she had all of her powers stripped of her by the other gods. 
And so she's kind of hidden in the background, pulling on these strings to make that happen. Um, so really, she's the person that you're against the entire first game. So we really don't, uh, well, we really don't, I won't use the word see, but we really don't interact much in either of the games, honestly, with with Wodica as a player. I mean, there are some, and we'll get into those later, some moments, but um, definitely behind the scenes, but very powerful figure and the lore and the story and very dominant goddess um, with, I think, a fascinating kind of uh, portfolio of of mental, psychological, uh, everything about uh, Wodeka, I, I just love and I, I eat it up when, when I learn about it. Even though I've played it many times, I still love going back um, and especially hearing that voice, the voice that, that they use for Wodeka is very interesting. Um, but can anybody tell me what she looks like? Because there might be some important uh, story details assigned with that. When, when we do see images of Wodeka in, uh, in Pillars, what are what are, what does she look like? She's just beautiful brunette. What does she look like? Yeah. She looks like she had a very bad cooking accident. Yeah, <laughs> I set that up. I set that up. Oh. That is awesome. Yes, it does. Explain yourself, Kiwi. Um, it seems that uh, she is very badly burned uh, through, throughout. Um, she. Like almost as she has almost as no lips and her uh, hands and skin is wrinkly and I don't know orangey. Um, she lacks complexion. Uh, whatever you would expect a victim of a whole body three, third degree burns, but <laughs> still, still still somewhat uh, presentable. True. Yeah, still functioning, uh, but definitely uh, scorched. Um, anybody want to give us a, a background on why that's important to the story or why that, that says something about Wodica? What does that tell us about uh, Wodica's past? <laughs> I feel like you're a, a teacher in a classroom. Like, I was like asking these leading questions of, Sorry. Does anyone know this next? No, no, it's good. I don't want to talk all the time. I mean, I could, but I don't want to talk all the time. I love it. I love it. I'm not complaining. Keep doing it. Um, Wodica appears burned because apparently she suffered uh, at the hands of all the other gods. Uh, Apparently, they dethroned her and sent her into exile because she was too powerful. And she suffered at the hands of Magran's fires. Magran being one of the other deities in charge of war and fire. And so that's why her robes are all tattered and disheveled, and that's why her skin appears burned. Yeah, that's why she's referred to as the Burned Queen or the Exiled Queen. And now her and Skeen are best buds. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, Skeen or Skane, I've heard, but I can't remember how the, the game pronounces it. But um, yeah, what the, the Quiet Slave, right? Gain yeah, is like best buddy, but they also kind of both kind of, I can't remember exactly, but doesn't Skane look like melted skin as well? Oh, yes. Yeah. No nose. No nose. That's right. I think, I think he's, he's more flayed actually, but uh, that doesn't help. <laughs> it's just such a great image, especially if you haven't played the game. I'm sure that people are coming up with these horrific uh, images, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, they're definitely best buds. 
Um, parenthesis, can you give us like a, this is a teacher in front of the classroom calling on you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> give us your idea of how Wodica is connected to the Empire of Adair. Well, she is the, um, I mean, the Empire of Adair is a hereditary monarchy that is sanctioned by Wodica, and she is one of the three major faiths in that empire. And and the Adirian Empire is, as I as I've been able to research, fairly hierarchical in its nature, and has a lot of customs and 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 that sort of uh, baggage. So I mean, it, it's an empire. It, it comes with the territory. So she is needed in in this context, and she is lauded in this context for keeping uh, the empire together. Yeah. So she's. Uh... It, it's it's important to know that there are those that um, uh, what was the word that are the favored quote unquote I think was the term. It's, it's hard to say geographically who worships. Uh, it's mostly like uh, people dealing with the law, government, uh, certain sec uh, a certain paladin sect, and some priests at least. And a leaden key. True. And Wodica, actually, there's a, I was looking back, there's a book. Um, it was in the first one, I believe, The Queen That Was, um, that kind of talks about, uh, in the description in that book, talks about um, my sisters, um, talks about those who, uh, maybe your followers or those who want Wodica to take back the throne. Um, and it's really interesting. It's a very short uh, read, but it's a really interesting read in that it kind of gives you, uh, I think, more of a personality profile, if you want to call it that, of, of Wodica. So, uh, and I'm reading straight from it now, Wodica teaches vengeance in memory. And while she is in exile, we must be her eyes and ears that let no injustice slip from record. We must be clenched fist that silences that lying breath. Uh, when Wodica takes back her throne, all of the injustices that have slipped through the cracks of history will be righted. I can just see someone raising their fist in the air. Uh, the villains hiding in plain sight amongst the innocents will feel the burned queen's choking grasp. Pray that you live to see the day when you will join our queen in this cleansing of the wicked. Um, very cultish, right? I mean, I think yeah, cultish would be a word I would associate, right? I, I, uh, the thing that st struck me is that it's really interesting how basically justice is analogous with vengeance in this uh, in this book. Like that's that's really I, I haven't I haven't read this book. I, I don't I don't know about this, but it's just something that I almost expected. I almost expected to end the book by saying, and thus concludes the reading from our goddess Wodica. <laughs> The she has a strong sense of ju uh, justice, but her her way of dealing uh, 
like dispensing judgment is more vindicative than, uh, well, for example, uh, re reparations or, or rehabilitation. It is certainly justice without any kind of mercy. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would almost say um, ideology. I mean, ideals, um, having uh, in a way that this uh, goddess of law, you know, it, it is ironic in that she often breaks her own rules to reach the desired outcome, right? So, you know, that is kind of like what you said, uh, the, the vengeance being tied in with, uh, with law, I think, is just, is just really an interesting dynamic. And um, I almost think that the quote, Wodica forgets nothing, tells you everything. Just that quote, which is also from that reading, <clears throat> Wodica forgets nothing. She's draconian. Yeah, she definitely is. Yeah, I mean, and, and I love that about her character. I feel like, uh, well, let me let me step back. Like as a player, um, uh, you know, how how is your, what is your overall interaction with Wodica? I mean, we we touched on that earlier that there's not much, but um, if you were to play through Pillars One and Pillars Two, um, how do you interact with Wodica? Um, what what choices do you make actually influence that that story of Wodica? Can anyone jump on the board with that one? Mm, in POU one, you don't actually uh, interact with almost well almost any of the deities in the game. You can make a promise to Wodica to. Uh, you don't even if, make the if, promise to Wodica. You make it yes. to Skein on her behalf. Yeah, mm. but they. <laughs> Yeah, basically you can help Vordika read uh, her plans, but in POE2, there's much more interactivity with the Vordika. She will actually come and talk to you through the, the Book of Law, and she kind of like, I don't know, she, she kind of becomes your buddy, but not really. She uh, uh, like challenges you and tells her or articulates her view on the relationship of Keith and the deities. And she is kind of leading the deity side of things in POE2 that the other deities gather around and they talk about Aeothas. And you, while you are just a Keith, you are also the Watcher and kind of are the neutral judge amongst them then. And I think usually players tend not to like Vodica. Uh, <laughs> this is not my case, but uh, I, I can understand she's a hard character to like. I love Vodica. <laughs> There goes my dark side again, Kiwi. Um, absolutely <laughs> love it. I just, I, I just feel like there's so much, there's so much depth there, and there's, there's the. It's one of the things about pillars that I've always loved is the, 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 the background psychology of of the character development and the, um, 
while it may seem obvious to most, it's just really the manipulation and the uh, the way that they develop all of of the deities, really, but specifically Wodica. I just feel like that that depth is is so rewarding, and um, you know, I'm 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 a fan. I'm just curious. You know, I know it. Uh, you can make the option um to uh, uh, at the end of the game to empower Wodica. did anybody do that i'm just curious i have not done it in a playthrough however i have like gone out to seek the videos and the ender slides of what happens when you do that uh, i definitely did it um and i and i <laughs> yeah i, I but it it's interesting because um, that's also another thing that we could kind of get into about Wodica or all the deities or even the stories. If if I was going to be critical of Obsidian over over anything and it would with with these games, it would be that I feel like they crafted this great be- this great uh, I won't even say being this great deity with this this. Uh, I don't know, this firm resolve and just really well played um, and gives you these options. But in Pillars of Eternity 2, it's kind of like, oh, well, yeah, that didn't happen. And um, sorry, <laughs> you know, it's like they, they, I don't know, they created all these gaps in the story uh, by giving you options with Wodica or even with some other things. And, it is a butthole. Yeah, and then they don't fill it in. Um, so There's, that... It could... It, there might be... It might not be a plot hole, depending on whether or not Wodica actually has a firm grasp on reality. Because, <laughs> I mean... It's, it's, yeah, like, if she's really... If she really was stripped of her power, and then this... Uh, at the end of Pillars of Eternity 1, you give her her power back, then we should be seeing a return to that power by Pillars of Eternity 2 or later, and we don't. And the gods also, the other gods also seem to deny the idea that she ever was as powerful as she said she really was. Right. And so uh, Ao- there's... Aothus in Pillars 2 says Wodoka never really had power over the other gods. Yeah, so... so part of me wonders if, like, it was never actually the case that she was that powerful as it stated or as her followers believe, or as she tries to put forth. I, I, I wonder if it's, it's just sort of a delusion on her part that she really was that powerful. But the th- the, then the question is that what you do in the end of BOE one is actually relevant. And that's just a matter of taste or color. And then it's the ending, ending of mass effect. I mean, another way that, that I've looked at it is that perhaps this just sets a, a chain of events in motion that won't be fulfilled in many years, decades, or even centuries. The gods are old. I mean, they don't think like us, oh, now I've got some power. Now I'll spend it immediately and, and then everything will change. It might be that this is just a down payment for a project that goes on. I mean, there, there are hints that the gods have a lot of things, uh, their fingers in a lot of pies. So it might be a case of this. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not going to deny that that could also be the case. It's just speculation on my part. But I, 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 like, I like the idea that um, you know, this kind of illusion uh, might also actually be um, you know, part of her territory or you know, part of her you know, 
you know, from a philosophical point of view, you know, to belongs to law and justice and, you know, stuff, stuff like that, that, you know, only with a certain kind of, or a certain degree of illusion can you uphold these kind of things. I think it's kind of, uh, the, uh, like, they, when the Egwinitsens created the deities, they, they made all of them have some kind of purpose and aspects and maybe a backstory also in uh, Woodka's case that she was a queen and was then taken down from the throne. Was she ever? Who knows? But then there are the events that actually happened in the history that uh, Ondra and the moon and Abidon, uh, but in Woodka's case, apparently nothing happened. Mm-hmm. The only the only part that kind of throws a wrench in it, I think, is because Theos was there, is a like well, his soul, anyways. Uh, presumably, back when they were making the gods, do you think he would know whether or not they tried to set Woodak up as the chief god amongst them all or not? Um, but I don't. know, Maybe despite their efforts, it just didn't matter. They all came out kind of equal. But isn't Woodak who always grants Theos? his memory is back once he once he's reborn it's true so that's what i mean is like you think if wudaka was deluded that theos would know that because he was there when they started making the gods in the first place right or am i mistaken on that she could be altering his memories that's true i guess he could there's no i mean yeah there could be some deception even with that i mean right i mean there's there's definitely that slant to her character, her her being, um, trying to mold things in her own way. That's a good point. She does but, break the rules. Uh, yeah. Well, she's not the only one breaking the rules. Too. That's the whole, <laughs> like like if some so like okay, she is breaking the rules. Even like uh, the god of hunt who. Was just the name Galavan. 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 He's breaking. He's breaking the rules. He has this his sacred island that has uh, like a his plan B, and then you have Eothas, like who has been orchestrating events before Boe one, and he's the whole thing in Boe two. Like mm-hmm. uh, many of the deities have some uh, shady stuff going on, and it seems that uh, while they were created for a certain purpose. They are also, uh, you know, independent agents uh, with, uh, I guess, similar amount of power. Yeah, I think, and it, I, I feel like uh, there is that shared, like Hebe said, that that the, she's not the only one breaking the rules, but. Another thing I think people who are trying to get a grasp on Wodica and what this goddess embodies, um, uh, other than just the, the the physical and the and the words and and the actions, I think it's something bigger, and I think that it's implied quite a bit because they say, you know, uh, the the followers believe in this utopian society, right? They believe that uh, society by having Wodica, this exiled queen, uh, back in power, that um, this utopian future, this this order will return, and 
what's behind all of that? Like this, I, this blind idealism, um, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you, do you think there's a message there that, that the developers are sending or do you think they're saying mm-hmm. something with that? Um, I think I kind of have hard time understanding the question because who is actually the followers who are wanting to reinstate Vodica? Do you mean Lerenki? Because uh, if I if I've understood the whole purpose of the Lerenki correctly, it's just the uh, this organization by Theos to. Uh, uh, make sure that the secret of the gods is not revealed and everyone else in the Leden Gi, uh, well, while of course they believe in the reinstatement of Vodicans, such they're all just pawns in the in the this game where Theus is making sure that nobody finds out about the uh, real backstory about the gods. And actually Vodica is making a big big uh, service to the other guys by having this Theos guy around. Right. And I think I will, I I think what I was getting at is that, um, you know, goddess of law, goddess of justice there implies the, the, maybe the upper class, maybe the, um, uh, I don't even know that I want to say conservative, but I mean, I guess conservative could be used like, um, Traditionally, the upper classes, uh, we're talking about things like maybe lawyers or judges or people who want this order uh, established no matter what, right? Almost taking the human element out of it a little bit. I don't know the human's the word, the, the humanity out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, making it uh, objective, having a set of things that are determined as right or wrong. That way you can have morally elite people and morally bankrupt people, and you can know where the problem lies within society. It is funny that she has such a strong position on on the role of Keith and uh, whether they are able to have a decent society or not while they invested themselves for Keith and managed to do what they did. <laughs> yeah, like, good point. Is, like, is, is that just a way to uh, protect their own status and uh, uh, not allow other Keith to reach the, the same kind of uh, apotheosis? Yeah, Wodaka, like, clearly does not have faith that the Kith societies of Aora will be able to develop into the perfect perfect society that they're going to be. But to be fair, I think she also stacks the, the deck in such a way that she can always justify that. I mean, she sets what the rules are and then breaks them. And I think that there's... I think there's some cherry-picking, a lot of cherry-picking that goes on with the who is in, who is out. I, I think followers of Wodaka tend to have an us-and-them mentality as well. Yeah, like absolutely. Problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's Wodica forgets nothing. You you break your oath, you are punished. There is no more to that sentence. That That is Wodica in a nutshell. You break your oath, you break the rules, you will be punished, period. There is no more sentences. There's no more to that paragraph. There's nothing else to say, period. That's the way it is. There's no context. There's no circumstantial details uh, about uh, why you broke the oath or why you, you did this or that. 
No, you did it. You're done. Um, and I feel like that defines her uh, in a very specific and real way. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the dispositions in the game, the ones that the developers chose for, you know, if you're a priest of Wodica, her favorite dispositions are cruelty and rationality. And then her, the behaviors she hates are benevolence and diplomacy. That's so, amazing. I, mean, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it just seems like, yeah, like it's just a, a cruel but rational brute fact of the world that there are people who need to be strangled to death for breaking their oaths. You know, it's the, the morally strong need to be the leaders of society perhaps might be something. And then the condemned behaviors are benevolence and diplomacy. Yeah, you know, like it's almost like weakness needs to be rooted out. Weakness. That's interesting. Well, so then you're, you're, no, no, I, I'm going to hold you to that weakness because of what? Because of uh, all the contextual details that people add to reasons why they break the rules. Mm-hmm. Weak, well, weakness I mean, of one's integrity. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think she Are defines they, uh, the weakness as the thing. That, that's where the problem lies. But, but then again, there's so many ways of being cruel or you can be cruel to someone who's not an oath breaker or a, like you can be cruel against a person who have kept their oath you can be a cruel against someone who is part of the leaden key and what guys like yeah you go you go uh, be cruel to that guy who actually works for me i mean the, disp- the dispositions thing is well it's a it's a nice role playing aspect in in the game, but it's not logical in every situation. No, yeah, you like you can't apply it all. They only had nine categories to define an entire set of values. Like I understand it's not entirely overarching, but I mean the developers picked those two uh, for favored and the other two for not favored, and I think that that lines up with like what we're getting as an image of Wodica for. Yeah, well said. I, I totally agree with that. Um, I, with that in mind, though, do you think, I mean, I kind of always love to, to be at the, the beginning, you know, at where they're crafting this story, this world, um, these, these deities. Um, do you think the developers had any inspiration in real life or in history on, on Wodica? Or is it just something they just said, oh, this is cool, let's do this? Um, I have some speculation, but I don't actually know. Um, I know Josh Sawyer said that in studying history, well, I don't actually know, but I think I remember reading somewhere that he said like he studied a lot of um, earlier centuries of early Christendom, kind of back when they were had their iron-fisted rule in certain places. And sometimes I wonder if that early Christian history might have been uh, an inspiration for it because mm, there was a like, lot of like we have the rules of what is right and wrong and if you're not going to follow suit then this is what's going to happen to you as a result and I, I say uh, that as a person of faith as well so I I'd I'd say to at least two people from history one is Leopold II uh, king of Belgium during colonial time in Africa uh, known for his cruelty in Congo and other is Henry Dave. I don't know if it's right, but the thoughts that come unbidden are some of the uh, escapades of the Greek pantheon. And and it was uh, they they were some right fuckers. I mean, it was sort of like, oh, you were you were you were raped in, in my temple. Well, here's your punishment. It uh, 
they had some cruel and unusual ideas about how to punish people they thought were wrong. Yeah, I, and I see actually see what I see bits of what each of you have said um, uh, historically. I really I I feel like um, uh, I feel like you're right on the money, Gingerino. I think that it's anything with pillars, especially with pillars one, and when they're developing this world, I think people need to understand that that in uh, maybe this is slightly opinionated, but I've done a lot of reading as well. And I've watched a lot of interviews with Josh Sawyer and uh, there's, there's a very intellectual bent to the design of Aora. There's a very intellectual uh, knowledgeable uh, thrust to anything that is, has been designed. I, I don't feel like this is people throwing dice on a table and saying, Oh, this would be cool. Yeah, let's do this. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's some of that there, but I, I think you're right, Gingerino. I do remember that as well, where there, uh, he mentioned really diving into. Uh, I'm trying, there's one YouTube video in particular where he's giving a presentation at GDC where I think he talks about this, um, just diving into history and just really trying to not just draw inspiration, but parallels and um, pushing people to realize that, yeah, this is a game, but these themes and these issues are not imaginary. These are real and they have happened and they may continue to happen. And it's something that we're always going to have to struggle with, you know, people who um, blindly follow ideals and uh, take context out of the situation. You know, the whole, the whole thing that Princess said with the temple, I mean, it's, you know, not not really paying attention to what's going on and just saying, well, you did this. That's all there is to it. And um, that brings order. And I think there's still people that feel and again, if you feel that way, no, no insult to you. But I think there's still a lot of people that feel that way in the world. I, I think there's governments that feel that way in the world um, that this is the law and you break the law too bad. It doesn't really matter all the other stuff. You know, there's no, I guess that in, in the United States, the whole jury system, the whole, that's the idea is that then you, then you kind of involve context and reason and uh, the ability to think through things instead of it being a, uh, you do B and then you get C. Um, I don't know. I, I could be going out on a limb and stretching it too much there, but. Uh, well, of I mean, course. We'll have our own personal. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, of course, the, game, the world is fleshed out and it takes uh, in history. It's just Sawyer making the game. Uh, he, I, I hear, just has always wanted to make a make actually historical game, but no one actually wants to make historical games. So he has to settle for a fantasy uh, in which he can freely be historical in in this creative way. I have, I have good, great respect for Josh making these games he really has a passion for these i don't know what what he's doing currently because he's actually project project leader in obsidian so he has his own game mm -hmm. that they're making but we don't know what it is but i hope it's something good and i kind of i kind of don't like that he i kind of don't like that he is not making about i guess he got burned out uh, in boe too I, I agree with you 100%. I, I was dismayed to hear he's not involved. I mean, 
I, uh, there's the argument that is made, and I believe there was a, a response in one of the forums uh, months ago that, um, yes, Josh is working on a new project, but Josh is also part a huge part of Obsidian and attends meetings. And so they're trying to say, yes, he's still involved, even though he is working on other things. You know, he's still has a deep connection to Aora and uh, th this whole universe that was created. Um, but I don't know. I have trouble believing that. I think once he dives into a project, he's probably going to be heavily into it. Maybe he did get burned out. <clears throat> maybe they just decided, maybe he just decided, you know, the, the charm of Pillars was this isometric game. Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean, there was also a whole team. Uh, for Pillars of Eternity, like uh, Josh Sawyer was the project director and I think the lead game designer. But in terms of like narrative alone, there was I think there were seven or eight writers on there as well. So like any one of them could have contributed or even wholly written the character for Wodica. That's true. Uh, yes, this is the part of um, science journals where you read the name Sawyer and this at all and. Yep. They, they, they don't get the attention they deserve and it's much easier to personify things yeah a couple of them actually if you go on the obsidian website a couple of the writers have actually put short stories out that's just a side note yeah in the eorin world yeah definitely I, and I, and not to discredit them you're absolutely right and and i know there's a lot of people involved um <clears throat> i'm just curious though if we shift gears a little bit we've kind of talked about this powerful figure, this powerful deity, um, what she represents, um, how she feels about, you know, rules and how empathy and compassion really don't play into justice. And uh, you need to keep your promises, your oaths. Um, what by looking back at the trailer, I know there's several things that we could point out, but looking back at the trailer for Avowed, which released, um, what made Wodica immediately come to mind as, wow, that story is going to center on, or, or, or Wodica is going to be a big part of that story? Does anybody want to jump in on that? Well, I mean, one of the first things we see is a banner flapping from a castle wall with a sword through a broken crown. The broken crown is Wodica's symbol. Now, it shouldn't surprise anyone that a, a, a castle or fortress, which presumably belongs to a lord or a king of some kind, uh, has Wodica's symbol on it because, you know, rulers like the god of rules. That's, uh, there is um, several mention of oaths in the trailer. There's the, now our oaths are lost, forsaken. Is uh, an oath worth the weight of a crown? And uh, the runes on the sword found in the trailer uh, translates to uh, oath binder in the uh, conlang that Josh Sawyer designed. Uh, yeah, very, 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 very clear in the trailer, I think. Gingerina, did you have any other comments? No, I mean, he pretty much hit the nail on the head for all of it. I think the banner, he mentioned, like, it could just be a banner for a ruler. I think if it was... Uh, just a generic banner for the ruler they would have put their own sigil on. So I think that it actually is a faction that is specifically allied with Wodica or serving Wodica more directly, like a military faction or a religious army or something. But that's just a speculation. I, so I still agree with Kiwi. Rulers like the god of rules. 
Yeah, I think it, it's uh, it's all speculation at this point. I mean, we can just take those images um, and that that small amount of narration and try to and we dig through it. I mean, we we have in a previous episode. If you're interested, you can go back, especially closer to when the trailer was released. We talked in more detail about some of that. Um, but just for people who are, are really into that and are, are very curious about, you know, okay, it we we have. Let's assume. Let's do the assume that we uh, it, it, that Wodak is heavily going to be a central role in a vowed story or world. Uh, well, the world we know, but the story. Um, let's speculate. What what are we talking about here, and in what ways could they? Knowing how the end of Pillars Two ends, what if if this is a follow up, or maybe it's not a follow up? What what are your thoughts about that? Anybody want to jump in? You've had many. We've had many discussions about this, but, you know, what's your opinion? I love reading the forums uh, and, and chat boards with uh, Pillars of Eternity fans because they're basically splitting into the camp prequel or camp sequel at this point. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I have this um, anguishing anguish that uh, the next game will have Vodica as an antagonist again. And I feel like the story and the pantheon and the myth and world creation stuff that you we have had and we've seen and that we know, it all kind of feels tied. Or like there's not many open things to explore so either it's going to be some known thing that's going to be in some way the antagonist or some closely related to that or then they have to come up with some new stuff which uh, which which might be too alien and it's like okay retcon (laughs) absolutely absolutely. and i was thinking the same thing because i feel like there's i think the even though people on the pillars forums those are you know those are usually purists like us but um the i I really i have this gut feeling that the mentality behind the game is follows that open world idea in that um they're they're assuming again. I hate to say anything about Obsidian because they'll, you know, they're, I'm probably wrong. But I, I would believe that this is a AAA title. This is, um, I think we could all. Well, I'll get hate mail about this, but Pillars was not a AAA title. Um, I, by AAA, I mean enormous budget, enormous amount of uh, resources, incredibly long development time. Um, a huge project. And with anything like that, they're going to do a couple of things. They're going to want to open it up to be so that pretty much anyone can feel connected with the story in the world. That means that it's going to be more of let's please more people than let's just please one group of people, um, which kind of goes with what Kiwi said and that, you know, maybe, maybe they're going to kind of go a little bit overboard with that. Um, but then the other one is that I feel like it's not a really rehash if they go back into the story because they're assuming that they're pour- pulling in a bigger audience than they did with Pillars, right? So 
Pillars has a has an audience, a specific audience, and it's a good audience. Avowed, we're looking at more of like a, a Skyrim audience. We're looking at this this huge uh, group of people that are being pulled in for the first time into this this world. Um, do we really care that maybe we're going down the same path that we went in the last two games? You know, a- antagonist again. You know, same kind of not the same old story, but kind of the similar story. I think there's a there's a thread of that happening. Um, I would like to see it different. I would like to see a redemption story. I would like, I mean, not that there's any redemption for Wodica, but <laughs> I would, I would like to see it twist a little bit. Maybe you twist that concept. Maybe not that Wodica becomes this this good person with empathy, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe maybe twist that story a little bit so it isn't the same so that there is something for us, for people who've been through pillars one and two many times, uh, as well as the people who've never played it. Does that make sense? Mm. I, th- I think they could still do that. Cause I mean, we have the experience of playing pillars one and two and having uh, all this understanding of the lore and the stories in the game that we know kind of what Woodica's character is like, but for someone who's never heard of Aora and they see the Avowed Reveal trailer for the first time, um, there's no real indication in the Reveal trailer that the people who are on, let's say if there is a Woodica's side, that they're the bad guys. They could actually be the protagonists in the game. Like they're, They haven't set anything up either way. It does have that feeling, but I think that that's just an aftertaste in our own mouths from playing Pillars 1 and 2. I mean, one way you could do about it, go about it, is that you show the other side of the coin for Vodica. Why is it that she is necessary? Why is, is it that she is not as cruel as we have? You presumably believe because we played the first and the second game. I mean, you you are perhaps part of an organization that that takes in people who have been wronged by by other people. You are, you're filled with an evil hate, and you need to get this out. And this is a way to. Uh, will order the world in a better place. And even if they don't do that, I would just like to remind you that the Enclave, a murderous organization that literally wants to commit genocide across all mutants in the Fallout universe, has a very large following. People sometimes root for the Empire if they're presented fashionably enough. I I absolutely agree, and I, I and I think I like where you're going with that because I would love to see that. I would love, to, you know, redemption's too strong a word. So I loved how you phrased it that it's showing the the good side to justice, uh, showing the good side to keeping your oaths and promises. Because if you think about the world and history, and you um, there's there's more than two sides to every story, right? There's three, four, five sides to every story. And every side to a story has a very deep ingrained emotional opinion attached to it usually, right? So you can craft this image. I mean, you do, rules can get um, rules can get abused when you incorporate empathy, compassion, correct? I mean, it, it, it almost, in some aspects in life, in, in the world we live in, dealing justice becomes more difficult and and justice doesn't always get served right if if you incorporate empathy and compassion and um and not to get really political or anything like that but you know you're you're 
the the man this man kills your your daughter right um but he had a, a brain injury when he was a child and his he grew up very poor and he was beaten and now all of this context comes into the situation and the man doesn't end up getting the justice you feel he deserves right that could play into what parenthesis was saying and that maybe they're, they show that other side of the coin. Maybe they show how rules sometimes just need to be rules and need to be followed. I don't, I think that would be cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, rules make order out of chaos. It's like sometimes uh, they can be overbearing and they can be misused to create hierarchies and an us versus them mentality. But I mean, you also can't have zero rules either. Like we would just descend into utter chaos all the time. True. And and I think that therein lies the balance and therein lies the whole the whole cool draw of this this character in the story of Wodica. So I think we've we've beaten Wodica to death. Um uh justly so. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've kind of burned her over and over again. Um so uh I highly recommend anybody who even after you've listened to this, you know, if you're interested, either you know, if you don't want to play the game, one thing you could do is watch uh, a playthrough of the game. You know, maybe somebody posted or something like that. Um, that would give you a real good uh, feel for these deities, how the pantheon it's developed and, and the story in general. Um, now, we did have quite a few emails, and I wanted to jump back into the fan emails before we close. Uh, today. Um, and again, if you want to send us an email, you just uh, send an email to avowedcast at gmail.com. But that's doing an episode typically once a month, sometimes twice a month, but usually just once a month. You know, we get quite a bit of emails. And thank you all for sending those in. I had to pick just a few, but that doesn't mean yours won't get read later at another recording. So, um, First one is from Dougie Doug. Love the name. Um, this question is, how do you feel about the ability to pause RPG games that are not turn-based and make changes to your character and equipment? I hope they do not allow this in Avowed. In Skyrim, for example, you were God if you just had a lot of potions that you could pause and spam in the heat of battle. Anybody want to react to that? Hmm. I think it's uh, I think it's fine to to be able to pause, but I think that you're always you you should either not be able to go into your very deep inventory and and manipulate it unless there's some sort of time or action point cost in it. It should not be something you could infinitely use. I mean, for a good example of of a, of a system that I, I think strikes a balance, say Fallout One and Fallout Two. Well, it, uh, it costs action points to say go into the inventory and use steam packs on yourself. Hmm. I think that depending on the philosophy of Avad's game design, like if primarily what you want to deliver is a narrative experience, then I think that that would be an appropriate thing to have, where you can just go into your inventory and use it immediately. Because other, uh, whereas if you're focusing on realism then yeah, you want something like what uh, he said about having either action points or maybe a delayed reaction from when you use a potion or like it takes effect over a period of time so that's not immediate. 
Um, I, it really depends on what Avowed is trying to deliver. I, I get the feeling that they're trying to deliver a little more of a narrative thing. Like, I don't know, maybe that's just because it set off all the synapses in my brain that it was Skyrim-esque. Um, but, yeah. I get what the frustration comes from, but sometimes it is nice to have a game that, like, doesn't beat you to death because you're not a really good player at some of that stuff. But then it does take away from the impact of doing a good totally job. Totally agree with that. Again, I've talked many times about the one of the reasons Skyrim's so successful, I think, is because of the fact that it gives it, it kind of gives you these breathers these options it kind of i mean some people would argue they're just scaling the game for people that aren't very much you know typical gamers which which i'm fine with as well um i think there's a way around this where everybody can be happy <clears throat> i was thinking about the question and i think the way around it for me would be um how some games do, uh, I forgot what they call, there's a name for it in particular, but they, they put a time limit on your usage. So like if you use a potion, um, you're not able to, say, drink another healing potion until the little meter goes around. Uh, I, you know, Diablo did cool down? What, yeah, what did a cooldown timer. Cooldown, yes, yeah. If you have a cooldown, it kind of prevents the spamming it also it lets you pause. It lets you use your potion. But I can understand what the, this person is saying. You, you know, you encounter this huge fire-breathing dragon. I mean, you can just imagine yourself holding your finger up. Yeah, uh, one second, and dragon's like, "All right," and, and you're like, "Just let me. I want to switch it. I have this sword that's really going to kill you, but I didn't have it equipped. So let me put that on, and I'm just going to take a sip of a couple of these things. Okay, all right, come at me. I mean, I get how silly that is. Um, but I also understand the flip side of what kind of Gingerino was saying in that some people really like that. They need to take a breather in the heat of battle. Sometimes, you know, different anxiety levels. It really depends on the audience they're making this game for. If they're trying to stay true to what they did with Pillars, I think they're not going to allow you to do this. Um, and I think that uh, whether it's through cooldown timers or whatever, I, I think it's going to be more of a narrative game. Uh, I do think they'll, that are, we've talked about this in podcasts before where there will be an end to the game, which I don't particularly happy about, but I do think that's the way it's going to work because that's kind of their MO. It's kind of the way that Obsidian has been going so far with the games they've developed. Um, so I have another email. This one's from Kento Ken fan. Um, don't know who Kento Ken is, but Kento, a fan of Kento Ken. Um, this question says, with the realization that Starfield releases in 2022, does it feel like Microsoft might be pacing their major RPG releases? Um, let's see, what is it they have here? Uh, Avowed in 2023, Fable in 2024, Fallout in 2025, I guess it's Fallout 5. Um, Elder Scrolls 6 2027 and they say would they intentionally delay releasing finished games to spread out these AAA RPG titles on Game Pass? What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. I mean it's been noted several times that if really popular games release at the same time um, the, you know, the numbers are not as high that as some of the developers hope for their games because they're competing for the attention of everyone else. And then several months down the road, as sad as it is to say, a game becomes kind of old news in the sense of like, there isn't that excitement and hype 
of an impending release. And so then a lot of people just never come back to it. Like, um, I, I know a lot of people might feel weird about this, but like, well, not weird, but surprised. But like, I never played uh, The Last of Us or The Witcher, I think for very similar reasons. Is the time when I was paying attention to those games, other games caught my attention. I never went back to them because another game came out in the next six months while I was playing this other one. So I think Microsoft would know that so that they would try to stagger those releases. So that way everyone's getting the full, uh, the full experience of the game. And also that the numbers are really high instead of splitting how many million players between four games all at once, you have all of those millions of players on one game at a time makes the numbers way better. I mean, yeah, sure. Staggering them, uh, uh, that is certainly a possibility, especially if you control the, all the companies uh, and, and hold the purse strings. But, but I don't think they're going to just release one big uh, RPG a year and then just say, oh, well, uh, you, you came out. Yeah, this game will be finished one week after the last mega one. So let's, let's wait for the next year where we can slot you in. I mean, okay, they might wait a year, but they're not going to wait 12 months from it being no, released. No. Yeah, I think I think the the Kento Ken is fan is I think that their thinking is that they tend to hold their major releases until like Thanksgiving every year or uh, not Thanksgiving for our international audience till the end of the year uh, that that fourth quarter um, I think is what people typically associate with major releases although that's been broken several times I do know one studio that recently made this mistake and paid dearly for it. Um, and that was Ubisoft. And if you remember with the release of the all the new consoles, um, Ubisoft released three AAA titles within two weeks. Three huge games. We're talking Assassin's Creed Valhalla, um, Watch Dogs Legion, and the other one that was the uh, Zelda clone, uh, Immortals oh, Phoenix Rising. Yeah. They released all of those at the end of last year each and just within like a couple of weeks of each other um yeah. and as a result one of them you know kind of assassin's creed valhalla took took the bulk i mean people have a limited amount of money especially in current uh, economic situations um to spend that's 60 bucks a title you know anybody who bought all three congratulations you know on, on having that much you know spendable wealth but it's hard to do. And then by the time you finish like something like Assassin's in all of these games, actually all three of those games take a massive amount of time to finish, right? So let's say that you're a semi-completionist, you get into Assassin's Creed, you're probably still playing Valhalla, especially with, with Paris just getting released. And so y you want to make your way around to the others, but you're like, oh yeah, I want to do Watch Dogs Legion, but oh, there's this other shiny bobble that's coming out next month. I really want that one. And so what ends up happening is it gets putting back at the bottom of your list. I mean, I, I think that happens a lot. And I, I feel like that could be something that they would think about. Maybe not like parenthesis said, maybe they're not going to wait a full 12 months every time. You know, if you've got something and it's done, I mean, and it's really finished, um, I could see Microsoft saying, you know, let's space it out a little bit. Let's let's just release it though. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that's the route they take. I don't really want to <laughs> wait until 2026 for Fallout Five. Um, but you that you just you just never know what the thought process is there, what the pressure is from a uh, big overarching company. 
So our third email is from Bowie Ziggy 1986. Um, I like this one. I like this question. Um, so it'll be our last one. What did you guys think of the humorous trailer for Outer Worlds 2? It was the best video game trailer I've ever seen, in my honest opinion. Would you like to see a similar trailer for Avowed? And how much humor do you want to see in the Avowed game? I've seen so much reaction to this trailer for its presentation. I wonder if this is the same guy who posted on Reddit, now that I think about it, who said that the, the trailer was a breath of fresh air because of its transparency and honesty about game development and like where they are at and how they use certain tactics to get you to buy their game. It was, yeah. Yeah, did you see it, uh, Parenthesis? Did you see the Outer Worlds 2 trailer? Oh, yes, uh, it was good, but it's a comedic trailer for, trailer for a soon-to-be comedic series. So um, in, a, in a setting where they explicitly are evil, corrupt, predatory companies, so so it was kind of on point. It was a, it was something that might have well not made, but it, but it's a comment on the series uh, and setting it is in. Uh, of course, it can be humor and about, but it's just not you know saturated with. It's not in its DNA into the same uh, level that it is uh, in the outer world. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Parenthesis. I think it's two different uh, worlds, two different takes. It's not that Avowed is going to be super serious. I mean, if you look at Pillars of Eternity, both games, well, the first one especially, very serious bent to it, but quite a bit of humor, quite a bit of, especially woven within the banter between your companions and your party and um, just, uh, uh, there's so, I mean, there's a lot more, I think, in Pillars 2. But there's a lot of humor in both of those games, but you wouldn't call those humorous games. You know, you wouldn't release a cute, funny trailer for them, I, I wouldn't think, especially when you're trying to get people to take something they haven't really seen seriously, right? Um, and I, I think you would lose, kind of like Gingerino said, I think you would lose a lot of your audience uh, if you did that. Outer Worlds 2, it makes sense. If you played the first one, it, it makes sense. You know, it's it's part of that humor that, that they're known for. It, it's, you know, it, everybody's excited. And as for a generic trailer, uh, yeah, it's one of the best. I mean, it was hilarious. It, it really poked fun at marketing for video games. So uh, I, I thought it was great. And it was a great way to get the message across that there will be a sequel. We don't really know much about the story yet, but... You know, it's coming, and uh, yeah, it's it coming. It felt very Bo Burnham-esque, you know, where they poke fun at themselves so that you can't fault them for their things that they don't have right now. Yeah, there's a whole psychology behind that. That's brilliant. I totally <laughs> agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, so those are our three questions today. We'll have more later. Keep sending your questions in, everyone. Um, Gingerino, you want to give a shout out to how people can find you online? Yeah, so um, on Reddit, my Reddit name is Gingerino uh, as well. If anybody's interested in learning more about Pillars of Eternity or Avowed Lore, I have my own podcast, which I haven't been updating episodes over the summer because I've been uh, apparently sleeping with bears. Uh, but I'm really excited to get back home at the start of September and making more episodes on the lore. And I have a couple other things I want that are coming down the pipeline uh, for that, but we'll see how they go. Um, you can find me on Twitter at World of Aora. And uh, I think that's all the main ones for now. 
Cool. And, and as we mentioned before, Avowedcast, we have Avowedcast.com. You can get us on Twitter at Avowedcast. Um, we also are on Reddit, Avowedcast. Um, we just post our episodes there. Um, and uh, Avowedcast at gmail.com. So, you know, hit us up with questions, comments, suggestions, or hey, if you want to be on the show at some point, let us know and we'll see if we can make that happen for you as well. Um, thanks for listening. Um, our audience has grown so much and we really appreciate all of you guys sticking with us, especially since we're getting very little details about the game. But we have so much we can still talk about because we have this fleshed out world and uh, it's it's fascinating. So thanks for joining us on this journey and see everyone later. If our pantheon found that mortals had cultivated a perfect, lawful system to maturity... I would not voice a word in protest. I would merely stand aside and await the inevitable collapse. Mortals need us. I know this as well as I know myself. Even a lawful and responsible society would be poised to collapse as long as its architects and strongest adherents were mortal. Any satisfaction that my siblings derived from their little experiment would be short-lived, and it would fall to me to clean up after their mess. Indeed, a little opposition is healthy. One cannot make heat without friction. Make no mistake, Watcher. In this, I cannot be proven wrong. You mean gods crafting a godless world? Naturally. My siblings desired to influence mortals and steer them in a proper direction. Even if that direction led to places we could not follow, I have no intention of being left behind.